Have you found John 8? Our text is verses 39 to 47, but I'm going to read for us all of John 8, 31 through 47. So look at, start at verse 31, please. This is the word of Almighty God. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God, here's the words of God, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Pray with me. Lord, there is a great weight on what we've got to do today. And I would ask you, God, to do the work with your Holy Spirit that only you can do. I ask for a strange combination for us of assurance of salvation for those who know you, gratitude for the gospel, joy in your glory. I ask for conviction and clarity for those who don't know you. If they don't know you, number one, I pray you'd save their souls, but don't let them walk out of here thinking they know you if they don't. Let us... Let us be submitted to your word this day, that we might love you well. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen. And you can be seated. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Last week, 
we began to look at John 8, 31 to 47, and we saw a conversation happening between Jesus and this crowd in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. This takes place about six months before the crucifixion of Jesus. And this conversation draws our attention to a topic of tremendous importance. I can't overstate this one. Examining the validity of our faith is what this takes us to. Standing before Jesus is a crowd of people who say that they believe in him, and if everything is as it should be, that should be a cause for joy. But our all-wise Savior knows better than this. Jesus knows that many around him do not have a true faith, a saving faith, a life-changing faith in him. And we spent our time last week in verses 31 through 38 uncovering three beliefs, three beliefs that you could examine in yourself to get a solid hint as to whether or not your claim to be saved, to be all right with God, is genuine. Our three points, our three beliefs. Well, let's just see. Let me ask you. What do we need to believe to test ourselves? Some of you have notes from last week. Believe what? Anybody remember? Believe the need? Believe the need for salvation? Believe in Jesus? And believe... God's word. Very good. Believe in the need for salvation. Believe in Jesus. Believe God's word. Those are the three key points. Guess what? They ain't changing this week. Look with me looking at verse 31, okay? And we're going to do a little review to see those points. Verse 31 says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, believe in Jesus. They believed him. Believe in Jesus. There's one right there. If You abide in my word. You're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you abide indicates that there's a possibility that somebody may not abide, not know the truth, not be made free. That hints for us that we need to believe in the need for salvation. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, something about making your life's home in the word of Jesus, is vital to your spiritual life. And so the third, believe, believe God's word. Remember we said this last week. If you say, I believe Jesus, but you don't like, love, desire, have interest in, care for the word of God, there is a real genuine question as to whether or not you're actually saved. If you don't like God's word and God's ways, you probably don't have Jesus. Then verse 33 They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? This crowd is going, we could never need to be rescued. We have a spiritual heritage that makes that sort of thing not apply to us. They do not believe the need for salvation. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. There's Jesus emphasizing the need for salvation because they need to be set free because they've practiced sin. They need the son of God to make them free. That's all of us too. believe the need for salvation. But then verse 37, I know that your offspring of Abraham... 
Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen from my, with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. So the crowd, they want to kill Jesus. That means they don't believe in Jesus. If you don't, if you, if you don't like Jesus, if you would like Jesus not to be, you don't love, you don't know, you don't believe, you don't have Jesus. And that gives us the call, believe in Jesus. It's all connected to the fact that his word has no place in them. The third point says, believe God's word. And all of that unbelief in that crowd shows that they oppose God the Father and they're following a different father, an evil one. The lack of their three beliefs, believe the need for salvation, believe in Jesus, believe God's word, that indicates in them a lack of actual salvation. So we've seen the three points twice. 31 to 32 gives them to us once. 33 to 38 gives them to us again. Those three beliefs are emphasized and they are a solid way of testing your claim to faith. If you believe the need for salvation, believe in Jesus, believe God's word, you've got reason to believe that you've been set free by Jesus and made a child of God. But if you fail in those beliefs, you have reason to, ge- to genuinely, seriously question whether you have salvation. Now let me add to the mix from last week. We discussed what believing entails because I said, believe, believe, believe. Well, what does it mean to believe? And I gave you three words, assent, affections, and actions. It is very easy to claim to believe in Jesus. Far more people say that they believe in Jesus than actually have saving faith, by the way. You guys get that? That there are people in the world that would say, sure, I'm a Christian, and they're lost. So it is wise to be sure that we know what it means to believe. First is the idea of accepting a thing as valid, cognitive affirmation that a claim is true. That is mental assent. And most of us understand implicitly when you hear the word believe that it includes actually thinking a thing is true. That's part of belief. If you don't believe who Jesus is, if you don't believe that he died and rose from the grave, even in your brain, you're not saved. But here's the question. Is mental assent enough to say that you've really believed in Jesus? 1 Corinthians 16, 22 says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Did you hear that? If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Galatians 5, to 23. You all tell me, the fruit of the Spirit starts with what? The fruit of the Spirit is, anybody? Love. Then joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Y'all, Those are both actions and, of course, affections. If you have a true assent in your mind, 
If you truly believe in Jesus, it should change your affections. When you believe an important thing to be true, it impacts your emotions. When you believe in Jesus, you grow in your love for Jesus. When you believe that you're guilty of sin, you really believe it, you sorrow over sinning. When you believe the Bible is the word of God, your affection for the word becomes stronger. John 14, 21, Jesus said, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. James chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 say, Someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. True belief must lead to changed actions. When you genuinely, I think I had one extra human in there. When you genuinely believe that the building is on fire, what do you do? You get out. When you genuinely believe that the ways of God are right, you follow them. So, If you examine your faith, you can do very well by looking at all three beliefs and measure those beliefs by assent, affections, and actions. You can ask yourself important questions in each of the three categories. So, for example, believe in the need for salvation, right? Okay, assent. Have I believed I need to be saved? Has... Affections. Has that belief made me fear judgment? Am I, am I sad that I've sinned against God? Do I have sorrow? Again, do I have fear over my sin? Actions. Has that led me to take action, to turn away, uh, turn away from my sin and turn to Christ for salvation? If you've never turned from sin to ask Jesus to be your Savior, you're probably not saved. What about the second one? Believe in Jesus. How do I test that? Have I believed the truth about Jesus as God the Son and my only hope of salvation? Do I have affection for Jesus, love, gratitude, trust, joy in Jesus? Has my behavior changed that I might cry out to Jesus for grace and then honor Jesus by turning from sin and embracing righteousness? Believe God's word. Again, the same three. Do I accept that the Bible is the perfect word of God? My standard for life and godliness? Do I have affection for the word of God? Love for the word, respect for the word, reverence for the word, and not opposition to the word of God as does the world? Have I changed in my behavior because of what I believe about the word of God? Do I obey scripture? Do, do, do I shape my life so that my life ch- takes in, learns from, is changed by scripture? Those questions should help you examine yourself. They should help you evaluate the claims of other people who around you say they follow Jesus. If somebody says that they're a believer then look at the questions. Don't take those three beliefs and don't take the three tests of belief lightly. They will help you. Let me be careful as well with our doctrine of salvation. I don't want to confuse you here. You do not save yourself by doing or even feeling right things. You're saved only by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So I'm not suggesting that you muster up affections and actions that you might earn your way to heaven. Affections and actions are evidences of genuine belief, genuine life change. We're not suggesting that you work your way to God. What we're suggesting is once one has come to God in saving faith, that faith, that belief results in changed affections and changed actions that are evidences of authenticity. Nobody is saved because they've changed, but if a person is saved, they will change as a result. I also want to remind you of this. While we are still awaiting the return of Jesus, are you guys still looking forward to the return of Jesus, by the way? Are you, are you guys, guys pro-Jesus coming back? Good. It doesn't even fit my eschatology, but if he wants to do it today, I'm fine with that, okay? I, I'm, I'm in. I'm good with that. I'm good with that, right? Y'all, y'all good with that? Whenever he wants to come back, I'm good with. But while we're awaiting the return of Jesus, while we live in this fallen world and these broken bodies... Our beliefs and our responses to the Lord, they are imperfect. Would you agree with that? That means you're imperfect in your mental assent, in your affections, and in your actions. Realize that. Don't expect that in every way, every day, your assent, affection, and actions will always get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Now, they should get stronger over time, but they ain't going to be perfect day by day. Sometimes we go through seasons of struggle. Have you ever gone through more than a moment of struggle, but a season of struggle? If you're an honest human being, I'm going to say yes. If you haven't, praise God for the sweet life he's given you. But listen to me. Not every follower of Jesus has it get better and better day by day. Sometimes your assent, your belief, is going to be weaker than other times. Doubts will assail you. Sometimes your affection for God or your affection for God's word will be weaker than at other times. Sometimes your actions may not be as holy as you might wish. Have you ever had a moment where your actions had not been as holy in the day as you kind of wish they would have been? Yeah, most of you guys are pretty holy, but sometimes, every once in a while, one will get you, right? Remember this, saving faith endures. Is that a good word for you? Saving faith endures. God keeps his children. God completes his work in their souls. In John 6, 37, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Is that hopeful to you? Philippians 1, verse 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God, if he saved you, is not going to lose you. So if you see someone doubting, feeling cold in their emotion, maybe even behaving badly, again, let me ask again, have any of you done any of those three things in your Christian life, either doubted, felt cold in your emotion, or behaved badly? 
Yeah. Listen, don't immediately assume that that means the person is lost if those things are showing up in their life. What do you do? You encourage that person toward the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ. You encourage them toward true belief, true faith, true repentance. But if, if the doubt or the behavior or the harsh affections are, as they get bigger, or if the season of struggle goes on longer and longer, You need to call that person more and more strongly to examine themselves to ask whether or not saving faith is actually present. That goes for you. That goes for your loved ones. Does that make sense to y'all? All right. That is a review of last week's sermon. And now some of you are thinking to yourselves, man, you could have preached that a lot faster last week. Let's watch the conversation go forward. Let's watch Jesus and this crowd around him. Let's see if the points hold up. John 8, verses 39 to the beginning of 41, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. So the last thing Jesus said to the crowd, verse 38, seemed to indicate that he and the crowd have different fathers. Well, the Jewish crowd latching on to that different father's thing, they immediately want to press forward and grab their identity. We're the descendants of Abraham. Now, what are they doing? You've got to think here in line with the promises of God from the Old Testament. When mankind fell in the garden by rebelling against God, the Lord made a promise. God said he was sending somebody into the world who would crush the devil And the promised one who would come would set right what's gone wrong in the world between mankind and his God. Then the scriptures began to track the lineage, the family tree of the promised one. He was going to be a descendant of the woman. He would come from the line of her son Seth and not from her murderous son Cain. Eventually, God chose a man named Abram. Later, his name is changed to Abraham to father a family through whom the promised one would arise. And God made promises of blessing for and protection of and preservation of the people descended from Abraham because those people would be set apart from all other peoples on earth because they would be the family bringing God's promised one to humanity. So Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3, God says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So when the crowd in front of Jesus says, we're children of Abraham, they're saying, 
because of their physical descent, because of their forefathers, they've got to be good with God. They assume they don't even need to be saved because they're already in the chosen family. And if Jesus is making a distinction between his father and their father, the crowd wants Jesus to know they've got the good father and he must be some kind of outsider. Jesus responds by telling them, if you guys are the true children of Abraham, you would be doing the works Abraham did. If you're like Abraham, you would have a faith that would lead you to obey the word of God. Listen to Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10, speaking of Abraham from a New Testament perspective. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. When God called Abraham to leave his original homeland, to go to a place God would show him, he packed up. He left. Abraham's life was marked by a willingness to hear and obey the words and commands of God. Even more, Abraham's life is marked by a faith in the promises of God that was saving faith. Genesis 15, verse 6, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Jesus says this crowd in front of him, instead of having faith like Abraham, rather than believing and obeying the word of God as Abraham did, they are seeking to kill Jesus. They want to commit murder. They're ready to violate the word of God. That is not a sign of being right with God. They want to kill Jesus. He's the one bringing them the truth of God. They don't look like children of Abraham. So what do we see? What do you see happening here? The crowd does not believe they need salvation. They rest in their heritage. They don't believe in Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. They don't believe God's word because they reject the holy word of Jesus. You see our three points right there? Do you believe that you're right with God? Let me tell you something. Do not trust in your family tree. Instead, you have to believe for yourself. You've got to examine your beliefs and believe in the need for salvation and believe in Jesus and believe God's word. How many of you have Christian parents? Christian grandparents? And you all got preachers in the family? God bless your rotten hearts. I tell you what, that's terrible. But, you know what? The work I do does not save my children's souls. If they don't have faith in Jesus for themselves, they will be lost. If you've served as an elder in a church, or a Sunday school teacher, or a nursery worker, that doesn't save your kids. They must believe in Jesus themselves if they wish to have salvation. Do not trust your heritage. Trust in Jesus. 
Verses 41 and following, now middle of verse 41, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and I'm here. I am not I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Now, I don't know if you guys can tell or not. Maybe you're not a scholar. The conversation just got nasty. Can you see it? (laughs) Jesus told these men, hey, if y'all want to claim to be children of Abraham, your life should be marked by obedience to God's word, which includes a belief in Jesus. And they snap back at Jesus that they are not children born of sexual immorality. This is them questioning Jesus' heritage because Mary, they think, they, they accuse Mary of having become pregnant through immorality. They're looking at Jesus and they're saying, you are the illegitimate son of an unfaithful woman. You guys know the word, right? Of course, is Jesus the son of Joseph? No, Right? Joseph was the husband of Mary. Jesus is not Joseph's son. But in point of fact, Jesus is the son of Almighty God, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is little doubt. I'm sure in Nazareth, there probably was talk about how was Mary with child before that couple came together to be married. There's little doubt that the men who opposed Jesus at every turn, they look for a way to try to, to use to discredit or insult Jesus. But then in an odd twist, this group, they don't believe they could possibly be in need of salvation. They claim God is their father. Watch Jesus respond. How do you test whether God is your father? Watch yourself here. Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love him. You would love Jesus. After all, Jesus came from the Father. Jesus is obeying the commands of the Father. Jesus is doing nothing from outside the will and plan of the Father. This is, of course, beautiful Trinitarian teaching. Jesus, God the Son, is not alone in his actions, but is perfectly in keeping with the, with the eternal plan of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit always agreed because there's one will of God. And while this group around Jesus fails to believe in their need for salvation, we're children of God, we can't need to be saved, Jesus calls them to believe in Him. Notice, by the way, that the belief Jesus calls for to believe in Him impacts your affections. Because not only would you believe in Jesus if you're of God, Jesus said, you would love me. Belief is more than mental assent. Belief includes affections. If you believe in Jesus, you will grow in love for Jesus. A saved person will love Jesus. They will embrace Jesus. They will long to know Jesus. They will long to be with Jesus. You cannot believe in Jesus in a genuine saving way and at the same time dislike Jesus, not care about Jesus, not approve of Jesus' ways. It just doesn't work. Then in verse 43, Jesus adds, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. 
Why do you not love Jesus? Why do they not love Jesus? They don't love Jesus because they don't love his word, God's word. Jesus is God. His word is God's word. The crowd rejects God's word, rejecting Jesus, proving they need salvation. What do you see now? One more time. A person who is genuinely right with God will believe that they, in fact, have needed salvation. They will believe in Jesus. They will believe God's word. And we've seen clearly that believing in Jesus includes changed affection for Jesus, loving Jesus. Let's finish the passage with 44 to 47. You are of your father, the devil. Remember I told you it was getting heated? And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Verse 38, Jesus was hinting that the crowd around him and he had different fathers. They claimed Abraham. They claimed God himself as their father. They accused Jesus of being born of immorality. But Jesus continues to claim God as his father. And in verse 44, he finally says with clarity that the father of this crowd is the devil himself. Keep in mind that what we're here talking about has nothing to do with physical birth. Yes, you can certainly say that Jesus is literally the Son of God because the Spirit of God is who conceived Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary. But when the Bible calls Jesus the Son of God, it's saying a lot more. The Scripture is telling us that Jesus is of the same essence as the Father. As the Father is God, the one God, so too is Jesus God, the one God, so too is the Holy Spirit God, the one God. All of the attributes that are the attributes of God belong to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Yet God is one God. He's not devised of parts, even as God is three, never confusing the persons of Father, Son, and Spirit. And that makes our brains hurt, but it's God. Similarly, when Jesus says that the men in the crowd, they're sons of the devil, he's not saying that they're physically conceived by the devil. Instead, Jesus is saying that this crowd is identified by hearts and actions that look like the devil. They are sharing the evil of rebellion against God, just like the devil. He is, of course, the original rebel against God. So what marks this crowd as devilish? They wish to do the devil's desires. What is it? They oppose Jesus. They want Jesus dead. They want Jesus off the scene. Jesus says the devil was a murderer from the beginning. That's true. Right? In the garden, the devil act to tempt humanity into original sin, causing death and bringing destruction, being a murderer. And this crowd around Jesus, they're looking for a way to have Jesus killed. They don't want Jesus. They want to commit murder. They look like the devil. The devil also is a liar. 
He cannot stand in the truth. When the devil told the woman in the garden that she would not die for rebelling against God's command, he became the father of lies. The crowd around Jesus lies. They speak false things about Jesus instead of believing the truth about Jesus. They've already accused him of being born of immorality. Not true, but a lie. Verse 45, Jesus says they will not believe him because he tells the truth. They're not believing his word, thus not believing in Jesus. They're blinded by the lies of the devil. They cannot agree with the truth. They don't like what the words that they hear from God say, and so they don't want to believe him. I reject him. I don't like it. I'm smarter than God. Verse 46, Jesus says something really amazing. He asks, which one of you convicts me of sin? Jesus is pointing here to his perfection, his impeccability. He is God the Son. He is born without the nature of sin that infects you and me. Jesus lived an absolutely, completely perfect life. Jesus fulfilled the requirement of perfection that no other human being has ever fulfilled. When Jesus asks the people, which of you convicts me of sin? He's pointing out that none of them, not one, can actually accuse him of doing anything that violates the word of God. Not one thing. And then we come to the conclusion of the passage for today. Why do these people not have saving faith in Jesus? Because Jesus tells the truth. And they're children of the lying devil. They don't believe Jesus' words. People who belong to God hear his word so as to believe it. The reason this crowd will not believe Jesus is simple. This crowd doesn't belong to God. They lack the faith in Jesus that saves. In that last section, have you noticed that we now for the fifth time from verses 31 to 47, for the fifth time, we see the three points again, believe the need for salvation. That crowd didn't see that they were children of the devil who needed to be rescued. Believe in Jesus. This crowd wanted to murder Jesus, not to believe in Jesus. Believe God's word. This crowd showed that they did not belong to God because they did not believe the words of Jesus. Now, I will tell you, there will be a rather dramatic conclusion to this conflict between Jesus and the crowd. But we're going to have to wait till next week to see it. For now, I want to urge you, like we did last week, examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Do you believe? Remember, believing means that you accept a thing to be true, mental assent, in such a way that it changes your affections and your actions. Head knowledge is the beginning, but only the beginning of belief. Life change must follow. Believe in the need for salvation. Every one of us has been stained by the sin of Adam. All of us have personally sinned against God. If we're not rescued by Jesus, we are damned. Believe it. Feel the fear and the sorrow that sin brings. Don't you know that to go against the ways of God is utterly destructive? 
Do you think there's something in this world that you can do that God opposes and you're going to be okay? You won't. Do you think you can approve of other people going against the word and the ways of God and they're okay? It's not. Feel the fear and the sorrow sin brings. And let it lead you, if you never have, to cry out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Believe in Jesus. Acknowledge with your brain that Jesus is God the Son. He's the only way you could ever be saved. And if belief in Jesus, if your belief in Jesus is real, it will impact your affections. You will learn to love Jesus. You will care for Jesus. You will desire to glorify Jesus. True belief in Jesus will also lead you to change actions. You will turn away from sin. You will move toward obeying and honoring and telling the truth about Jesus. And believe God's word. Jesus is clear that the ones who belong to God hear God's word. That means you do. If you want to be a Christian, it's going to mark out in your life by you believing the Bible. Beyond simple mental acceptance, believing the Bible so that you love the word of God, so that you learn to love the ways of God, so that you learn to embrace what really gets under your skin in your sinful nature. Believe in such a way that you actively learn the word of God and live to follow the word of God. We don't earn our way to God by mustering up right actions. We don't earn our way to God by mustering up right thoughts. Only the grace of God saves our souls. But God has promised genuine grace for everyone who will come to him in faith. So you look at your life. Look at your faith today. Do you believe the need for salvation? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe God's word? Do you really believe? If you do, you can be assured of your place in the family of God, even if your beliefs aren't all perfect all the time. But if you don't, I urge you, I urge you, I invite you, I implore you, believe today. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, you are worthy, you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever. I pray, God, that you would do a work in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls, that we would in fact believe, truly believe believe. And for those who do believe, I pray that you will give great joy and assurance and growth. And for those who don't believe, I pray that you will bring them to faith. God, have mercy. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.